What time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Howdy, and welcome to the ABI 1.0 podcast. I'm your host, Terry Thompson. I was going to say from cahoots, but if you remember, we're not in cahoots. We're on Mars, and we're investigating Mars on the second episode of Mars Road Trip. Let's pick up when mankind first landed on the red planet with the Viking landers in 1976. The lander separated from the orbiter and began its hazardous descent to the surface, plunging through the thin Martian atmosphere at nearly 10,000 miles per hour, protected by a heat shielding aeroshell. Immediately after touchdown, the lander's camera took the first picture ever shot from the surface of Mars and relayed the historic image back to Earth. Two months later, Viking 2 settled on Martian soil on September 3rd. In the following years, the two Viking spacecraft conducted experiments studying atmospheric and soil composition, meteorology, and seismology, and providing a catalog of more than 50,000 images from the Martian surface as well as from orbit. A very recent asteroid impact on Mars revealed that uh, there may be the material and resources just under the surface that could sustain a human presence on the red planets. NASA space probes have recorded a powerful collision and it's on the surface of Mars. The impact of a 200-ton meteoroid smashing into the planet resulted in debris being hurled for more than 30 kilometers. Researchers uh, say it was the biggest event of its kind ever documented as it actually took place. Emma McCarthy reports. Another mystery of the red planet has been revealed. The inside lander space probe witnessed a big impact crater being formed on Mars. The impact was so violent, it dug up huge chunks of buried ice. Most exciting of all, we saw clearly in the high resolution images that a whole lot of water ice had been exposed by this impact. You can see in this flyover video of the 3D data, boulder-sized chunks of ice in the crater's ejecta, as well as splotches of ice thrown across the landscape outside the crater. This was surprising because this is the warmest spot on Mars, the closest to the equator we've ever seen water ice. NASA says this is a crucial discovery as humans prepare to visit the red planet. This is really an exciting result. Um, We know, of course, that there's water ice near the poles on Mars, uh, but in planning for future human exploration of Mars, we'd want to land the astronauts as near to the equator as possible. And having access to ice at these lower latitudes, um, that, that, water, that ice could be converted into water, oxygen, or hydrogen. That could be really useful. 
Researchers calculate the falling space rock was about the size of a van. It dug out a 150-metre-wide bowl, hurling debris in all directions for more than 30 kilometres. The InSight lander has been perched on the surface of Mars since 2018, but its mission is coming to an end. It's due to run out of power and stop operations in the coming months. Emma McCarthy, BBC News. Well, hey, they got to know what they're talking about. After all, they were speaking in British accents. As does Professor Brian Cox, who just so happens to be a, a professor of particle physics at the University of Manchester in England. Here's his take on, well, everything Marsy. Life on Mars. We don't know. There's a rover as we speak, um, Perseverance rover. It's now on an ancient river delta. It's an astonishing thing to say. On Mars, it's a dry river delta, and it's drilling down now, and it's taking samples, and they're going to be returned to Earth for analysis. So the answer is we don't know, but it is possible, which is why we have a rover there looking for it. How long will it take to get those samples back? Oh, it's, uh, it's mid-2030s. Okay. It's an astonishingly complicated yeah. mission to get them back. How does that, I mean, what happens with that mission then? Oh, it's astonishing. It's, well, they have to launch two more missions. So they launch another one, which um, puts another lander down, which goes and collects the samples and puts them in a little rocket. They didn't know how to launch the rocket. It's hard from the surface of Mars. So they're going to catapult the rocket into the air using, they tell me, car airbags, basically. So they explode them, fling it into the air, light the engine, send it into orbit. Yeah, It's a little ball about that big, a beach ball-sized thing with the samples in. And then they're going to look for it in orbit, send another mission to get it, and then fire the rockets on that and send it back to Earth. It enters the atmosphere ballistically, which will be with no parachutes or rockets, and impacts somewhere in Utah, and then they're going to go and find it. And that's the simplest way that's anybody's thought of of getting the samples back. That's like when I'm trying to find my son, it's and I look at my find my on my phone, like, where on earth is he? It's going to be the only it's, idea. It's is incredible. It, but this is billions of dollars of research funding, to, and that's the, that's how they've got to do it to get it back. It's the, the, the simplest and most reliable yeah. way. It just shows you how difficult it is yeah. to get things from Mars to the Earth. In, in terms of distance, how far away, how long does it take that journey? From, you, to and from Mars? It's it's months if you get, several months, if you get Mars in the right place. So it's every Yeah, you heard right. He said months. <laughs> Seems like we're going to have to find a faster way to get to Mars. And with it taking so long, it would require a special psychological, I don't know, uh, training to be able to withstand some of the stresses that such a long trip would uh, take on a person. And if you think uh, one of your worst family vacations uh, probably lasted less than two weeks, try two years and uh, enclosed in a uh, capsule uh, out in a vacuum of space, whereas on your family outings you can get out of the minivan or whatever vehicle and stretch your legs and get away from each other. That's not an opportunity. Not in space it's not, that is. It kind of brings, are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? To a whole new level. We'll get into uh, what science is doing to combat what I would call journey fatigue when I return. Hello, I'm Johnny Cat. 
Where can I take you tonight? Drive. Drive. Would you please repeat the destination? Oh, anywhere. Just go. Go. Please state a street and number. Shit. Shit. I'm not familiar with that address. We're not in a rush to be most popular. Not in a rush not to be. Real bourbon, no apologies. If it's for you, you'll know. Ah, thank you. Wild turkey, it'll find you. Sometimes life can be a little overwhelming. Sometimes the weight of the world can be too much to bear. Sometimes you need to stop worrying and take a deep breath. Sometimes you need cannabis. Introducing Brightside, high quality cannabis delivered right to your door. Brightside offers an extensive menu of strains and products to meet your needs. Choose the experience you want and we'll send you the dankest herb, the real sticky icky some top-shelf marijuana. If you like what we send you, keep the whole jar. We'll even include some nugs for you to blaze. As part of Discovery, you'll get to try new strains and products. Side effects may include euphoria, increased appetite, uncontrollable giggles, elevated sensitivity to musical dopeness, and reduced anxiety. Tetrahydrocannabinol may also induce feelings of existential well-being and relentless optimism. With a Brightside subscription, you can get it once a month, once a week, or whenever you want. All at a price you'll like. And yes, this is a real company. is right for you. It probably is. Keep it bright side. We here at the ABI 1.0 podcast simply love to hear from our listeners. If you have a comment on episodes or if you want to suggest a topic for future ones, drop us an email, voicemail, or visit us on our Facebook page. Gotta run. Before the break, I was discussing some of the mental challenges, psychological hurdles that future space travelers to Mars might face. Some of the obstacles are feelings of isolation and boredom, the knowledge that Earth is so very far away and long periods of confinement are some of the mental issues researchers will worry about for crew members. Of all the problems that can be encountered en route to Mars and back, effects on the astronaut's mind may be the biggest risk factor of them all. A round trip to Mars would take two to three years. Anxiety, depression, and loneliness, along with the stress of routine tasks, tensions within the crew, and a daily battle to maintain fitness and avoiding accidents is the ideal recipe for disturbed behavior in space. Yeah, given all that, I can see where the situation could turn sour real quick. 
I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Of course, it's not just psychological stresses that a traveler to Mars would encounter. On a mission to Mars, the crew would not have access to an emergency room. Moreover, there would not be much room for a full sick bay, and ambulatory medical care would be out of the question. More importantly, during the astronaut selection process, it's unlikely that one would know if a crew member is in the early stages of a deadly or incapacitating disease that would develop during the journey. Medical situations which have emerged during analogous uh, situations, for example, crews in Antarctica or on submarines, include strokes, appendicitis, bone fractures, cancer, intercerebral hemorrhage, psychiatric illness, and kidney stones. Decompression sickness, moreover, is another potential problem the crew would encounter, particularly during extravehicular activity or when moving between two different pressure environments within the spacecraft. It seems to me that uh, the solution to most of these problems is to get to Mars as quickly as possible. And there are ways that they're looking at to do that. The clever boys and girls at NASA are always dreaming up new ways to circumvent the biggest obstacle to effective space travel, the speed barrier. Space is big, as you might have heard, and it takes a long time to get around. It's about three days to the moon, which isn't bad, but Mars is another story altogether. With current methods of chemical rocket propulsion, the same that have been used for some three quarters of a century, a voyage to the Red Planet would take about mm, five months. But a team of NASA scientists, headed by Philip Lubin of the University of California, Santa Barbara, have envisioned a different means of getting about space, one that requires nothing more than a beam of light. Called photonic propulsion, it requires little more than a solar sail of ultralight material, which is pushed along by an energy beam from an orbital laser array. The idea is to yoke a small probe to a solar cell, orbit a laser array, and push the probe towards its destination at speeds far in excess of anything we can attain these days. Lubin estimates a probe, weighing only a few hundred pounds, could be accelerated to Mars using this method in just three days. Scale the technology up from unmanned probes to manned vessels, that's no mean feat, and we could be talking about a journey to Mars in a month one-fifth of the travel time via conventional techniques. And there are more exotic propulsion methods being considered as well. What you're seeing is this energetic blue-greenish plasma that comes out of the thruster. It really looks like science fiction. It's very exciting. In the end, we're supplying electricity through a wire and an inert gas, and we turn it into this beautiful plasma that's moving at tremendous velocities that's providing thrust that may one day send people to Mars. Chemical rockets are the workhorses of the space age, and they've had a pretty standard formula for the past 60 years. Get millions of pounds of liquid or solid fuel into a rocket, light it on fire with an oxidizer, and then the speed of the propellant shooting out the back gives the rocket enough thrust, or kick, to get into space. This works great for escaping Earth's gravity, but if we want to get to Mars, chemical rockets have hit their performance limit. We need more powerful propulsion systems that can pick up speed and use less propellant at the same time. That's where the X3 comes in. 
As part of NASA's Next Step program, the X-3 is an entirely new space engine that's all electric. They have the equivalent of 10 times the propellant efficiency of a chemical system. To give you an example, a chemical rocket tops out at around 40,000 miles per hour. In electric systems, we can have ones that go over 100,000 miles an hour. And in fact, NASA is working on a project to design one that can actually achieve a velocity of 500,000 miles an hour. Of course, up till now, we've just been talking about the uh, hazards in the journey to Mars. Once we get there, we still have to land safely, <laughs> don't we? Hopefully. Fingers crossed. The Red Planet, Earth's neighbor, and the destination of NASA's most ambitious mission to date. But this expedition will be harder than we ever thought possible. It hurts to think of how hard it is. It's the farthest a human being has ever been from the Earth. We gotta take every precaution. As NASA's astronauts arrive at Mars, they'll face a huge obstacle. Landing on the planet is a daunting task. In the past, Mars hasn't always rolled out the welcome mat. Mars is kind of like a graveyard for spacecraft. It's actually really hard to send something from Earth and land it on Mars. This is how the European Space Agency hoped its $250 million Schiaparelli lander would touch down in 2016. But the lander's systems got it wrong. The parachute detached early, sending the craft into freefall for 33 seconds. Schiaparelli smashed into the surface at 335 miles an hour, leaving a deep black scar on the Martian landscape. It turns out that Mars is actually a particularly difficult planet to land on. Even humanity's most brilliant engineers, we've got about a 50% success rate when it comes to landing on Mars. The red planet is littered with dead spacecraft that didn't stick the landing. And for NASA's first crewed descent to Mars, the space agency must learn from these mistakes. But as the crew hurdles toward the surface, they're battling the same problem as all the landers that failed before. The Martian atmosphere is 100 times thinner than Earth's, so it can't provide the drag needed to slow a spacecraft down. So it's not like the Earth, where you can have these big giant parachutes that gently glide you down to the surface. You can use some of the air, but it's hard. The red planet's thin atmosphere is a problem that's been billions of years in the making. Mars doesn't have a large atmosphere because it's constantly being peeled away due to the lack of protection of a magnetic field. We can assume that we landed safely, and this is a good place for a break. When I get back, we'll discuss, hmm, structures, houses, and we'll find a place for that golf course. Yeah, when I return. My name is Mars. I am red in color. I'm the fourth planet from the sun. I have the highest mountain in our solar system, a volcano named Olympus Mons. 
So I'm back here in Kentucky at the Wild Turkey Distillery, and I want to let you in on a little something. The folks here and I have created a new small batch burger, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Real bourbon, no apologies. Don't drink and drive. You just might save a life. Plus, the police are watching. SpaceX plans to beat NASA and land on Mars before the end of this decade. NASA intends to land the first astronauts on Mars by about 2040. Recently, SpaceX President and Chief Operating Officer Gwen Shotwell told CNBC that they will beat NASA in the Mars race by at least a decade. If earlier everyone had looked at such statements with a smirk, now such words are treated with all seriousness. SpaceX, under the leadership of its CEO, Elon Musk, has achieved what was once thought science fiction. Elon's long-term goal is to establish a human settlement on Mars. Starship, a massive reusable rocket that SpaceX is developing at its facility in Boca Chica, Texas, which is just down the road, by the way, from me, is intended to be a tool to achieve this goal since its power and capacity will be enough to deliver the first settlers together with supplies to the Red Planet. If all goes well, SpaceX may be ready to send a spacecraft to Mars. The last launch window to the Red Planet this decade will open in late 2028 and early 2029. In order for Shotwell's promise to be fulfilled, the first human expedition to Mars must depart from Earth at this time. Of course, the journey involves great dangers. Radiation and harsh microgravity conditions will threaten astronauts during a flight to Mars. It's expected that after landing on the Red Planet, the pioneers will face many harsh conditions bordering on deadly danger. Elon Musk has already warned that part of the crew may not survive the first attempt to conquer the Red Planet. A disaster would reflect very badly on SpaceX. But success will definitely go down in history, to say the least. That's one small step for Tesla Mark. Four, one, three, 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 eight, four, four, zero, one. One giant leap for Tesla Mark's everywhere. I claim this planet for my own. Trespassers will be vaporized. Stay away. It's mine. Who wants to bet that the first time SpaceX actually sends a vessel to Mars, that there aren't a few Tesla bots involved? I think so. I think it's going to happen. We could hang a hammock between the two trees. We can sit and listen to the sweet breeze. Oh, and if I had a mushroom, I'd tell you what I'd do. Oh, I would take that mushroom and 
Future habitats on Mars. Hmm, what are they going to be made of? It's not like there's going to be a Home Depot or a Lowe's right around the corner. What if I told you that Mars is looking at making them out of shrooms, man? NASA dreams of building homes for humans on Mars, but it's not so easy to pack tons of building materials and haul them all the way through space to the red planet. That's why the agency is interested in alternative ideas, including the possibility of growing abodes out of fungi. The concept focuses on the mycelia part of a fungus. These tiny threads build complex structures with extreme precision, networking out into larger structures like mushrooms. The habitat concept involves a three-layered dome consisting of water ice on the exterior, cyanobacteria, which produces oxygen and nutrients, in the middle, and an inner layer of mycelia, which feeds and grows around a framework to create the Mars home. NASA said the structure would be baked to kill the life forms, providing structural integrity and ensuring no life contaminates Mars and any microbial life that's already there. Well, if they're going to have to bake those mushroom homes, I wonder if they're going to season them first. Hey, maybe add in some extra vegetables. AI Space Factory set out to design a habitat called Marsha that could be built by robots with little human intervention, and they could be constructed from materials that are easily accessible on Mars. Marsha is designed to be 3D printed using a mixture of ground-up Martian rocks and a plant-based polymer. This reliance on locally sourced materials means taking less building materials as cargo on the expensive journey from Earth. Well, let's see. We could take some Tesla bots, this 3D printed technology and these other technologies for building homes. Uh, we could pack a starship full of them, send them to Mars in advance. They could build homes and structures and have everything waiting for humans to arrive. Unless they're so set in their ways by that time that we're not welcome. You know, that's always a possibility. Of course, I'm speaking irreverently about the whole endeavor of getting to Mars. I have no doubt that it's going to occur. I kind of wonder who's going to get there first. We have to remember, nations like China are in the mix and in the race to get to Mars. And they're not so open about their space program. Whatever the case, the next few years of space exploration are going to be, well, let's say, very interesting. Knowing humans the way I think I do, or at least from observations over the years, it won't be long before we're there and putting in those golf courses. Oh, and by the way, I calculated it out at one-third gravity. A good golf swing would be about 5,000 yards on Mars. That is, unless you have a hard slice and it achieves orbit. <laughs> all right, all right, I know I'm getting silly there, but <laughs> maybe it's just this thin Martian air. So that tells me that it's probably time for this episode to end. So till next time, this is your host, Terry Thompson. This is the ABI 1.0 podcast. And see ya.
saying something to you, invest in the love, give me your best. Follow it to the left side of your chest, be ready for highs, be ready for lows. Take as a dream until you go. Make some mistakes, don't forget who you are. Go reach for the moon when you go in the